0: To the CCISD Culture Club a book club where we explore ways to increase connections among us and across a Clear Creek ISD landscape. Hello, I'm Karen Engel, Interim Superintendent of Schools, and I'm joined by my fellow Culture Club members, Holly Hughes, Assistant Superintendent of Elementary Schools, and Franklin Moses, Assistant Superintendent of Secondary Schools. We started The Culture Club as an extension of our work on people, purpose, and promise. Our first book is titled The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. I highly encourage employees to join us on this journey that unlocks the secrets of successful workplaces. The book is split into three universal rules or skill sets for creating a positive work culture. Start with safety. Get vulnerable and stay vulnerable, and roadmap your story, establish your purpose. So I'm going to just start off with a couple of quotes, and then we'll kind of kick in some, some discussion about each of the chapters. Um, here's a, a quote. We all want strong culture in our organizations, communities, and families. We all know it works. We just don't know quite how it works. And that's what this book studies about. And I've really enjoyed as we're reading through this to get to know the how for the culture. The three of us have split the first three chapters. I'll lead a short discussion on chapter one entitled The Good Apples. And then I'll um, go to Ms. Hughes and then Mr. Moses for chapters two and three. So in starting off thinking about chapter one, The Good Apples, Um, the title of the chapter comes from an experiment on organizational behavior at the University of South Wales in Australia called the Bad Apple Experiment. And I went, I found the experiment fascinating, honestly. And I went back and um, I kind of looked at it again. And in summary, uh, just to kind of give you a, a preview, there was Um, An experiment done, an individual named Nick, and he was in his 20s, um, was brought into a group meeting um, with three other people. And instead of being a contributor to the meeting, this Nick was his name, um, his goal was to sabotage the group's performance. And this experiment was done 40 different times inside 40 different groups And Nick took on the role of a jerk, very aggressive, defiant, a slacker, withholding information or effort, and a downer, negative. So thanks to Nick, he did a very good job at being a bad group member. A group performance declined by 30 to 40% in all but one group. And this group had a good apple- Hence the title of our chapter, um, that no matter what Nick did to sabotage the the group, um, this Good Apple group was successful. And the group succeeded not because the members were smarter, but because they were safe. And I'd like to really think about this quote. Group performance depends on behavior that communicates one powerful, overarching idea we are safe and connected. Um, and in going through, that's really off of chapter 15 and on page eight, talks about interactions that create safety and they list some. Um, and those interactions include eye contact, short energetic exchanges, no long speeches, <laughs> lots of questions, humor, active listening, just to name a few. And all of these are listed on the on top of page eight, and they're categorized into three basic qualities or sets of cues. And those sets of cues the author defines as energy, invest in the exchange that is occurring, individualization, or treating the person as unique and valued, and future-oriented, signaling the relationship will continue. So together, these three cues, energy, individualization, and future orientation allow us to feel safe and we can shift into a connection mode. So that's just kind of a big summary of the chapter to start with, and especially that, um, the study at the beginning. So can either one of y'all and thinking about creating a sense of belonging? You know, it's really hard to build, but easy to destroy. And how can we help our leaders create a culture of belonging and then to sustain that? And just thinking through creating that culture of belonging and then sustaining it. Any ideas that you have? Yeah, I think it's interesting just thinking
1: in this chapter also, in the the first three chapters, this idea of safety and that culture is something that is not just chemistry. It, I think I guess i taken by the fact that it's something, how do we do that? I think sometimes we rely on teams. We've been on good, te- we've all been on good teams that are uh, strong teams. And we've all probably been a part of weak teams. Of, but really when you have it, and that's not just something that it's about chemistry or luck, that there are actual cues that that's, he's naming in here. I thought that was interesting in that chapter. And I think about, you know, when culture works, it just looks easy. And I really, this is honing in on that idea of really looking into those behavioral group identifiers that make it work. And I think, um, I think, uh, you know, I, we're, we're, I hate to say it, but we're launching into this PLC work and you see it when it works really well. You see a group working together that's com- like they have strong commitments and they've agreed upon those and they truly do hold them accountable. And it's those behaviors that make it that they all agreed on, that they hold to, that they work towards that when it works really well and it's working to push forward to the goal, that's when you, that's when you see it working well. And I think sometimes we think it's chemistry, but I do believe it's some of those behaviors that are held to, and that you see that just innately. And it is, people are making eye contact, people are engaged, people are focused and they're committed. I think those are, those are the pieces that we see when we see it working well. And, and really pushing forward. Um, and it's interesting the, um, uh, the, the steps that they've taken to hold each other to those commitments. But I, I've, we've definitely seen that, uh, I, I think, in some of our title schools. I've, I've seen specific teams when they're coming around um, a math um, focus area in which they've tackled that. They are s- supremely focused on pushing kids forward, and, that is, um, and they're committed to their behaviors in those groups to use their time well, in order to push that forward. I don't know. Those are my thoughts, but you probably probably have others.
2: You know, when you look at bottom of page six, top of page seven, he makes a statement. When you ask people inside highly successful groups to describe their relationship with one another, they all tend to choose the same word. And it's not friends and it's not a team and it's not a tribe or any of those type of terms. The word they use is family, right? And so I start thinking about that and families are tight knit. Like they have their disagreements, Right. I think about all the times that we've uh, had issues at campuses, like, you you can talk about, I can talk about my family, but you can't talk about my family, right? We went went through battles Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And so I have that. And so I think about that camaraderie, that time spent around the table that that builds those relationships, that builds that connection, that binding agent, if you will, Mm -hmm. that says, you know, no matter what, I'm here with you. And so... You think about that when you think about schools and faculties, and and really some of the things that that these uh, you know teachers have been through, especially right here recently. How we've locked arms and just said we're going to make this happen and we're going to do it, and we and we've done that here in, in CCISD, and so those are the things that that make that culture and that family feel and make those uh, those groups so successful, right? And I think that it's not the genetics, right? Like the genetics doesn't make the family, it's the time, it's the effort, it's the energy that's put into each other that forms that cohesive group. And uh, you know, that's the things that we as educators have to take time with. Sure, there's the instruction and all the other pieces, but let's find those times to be together and realize that we're in this work together, right? And, And I've got your back and you've got my back moving forward.
1: It's interesting once you've been on a team like that, how desperately you want to have that feeling again, right? And how you will commit to that again and invest in that again to be able to have that reward. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And then going back, just those behaviors. And I was thinking when you were talking about have family and even thinking about proximity and and eye contact and all of those things that we didn't have during COVID. You know, right. we were split. Right. And how I, I don't know that we truly understand. The impact of not having that proximity and literally proximity matters. That's, yes. It was fascinating it to me to read the book thinking that the closeness, the proximity, um, lots of questions. And, and I really like the humor part, too. You know that and there's something about just being with people, laughing with each other. Um, it, it allows us to be able to to make those connections, right. yeah. And,
2: and the work that the work that we do uh, across the whole district is is tough work, right? Yeah. But you got to have fun while you're doing it. You got to enjoy it, right? And that goes back to that family feel around the table. We're fixing to approach the holidays here in just a little bit, and you think about that family time, and that's what binds it together. Like you may not have seen a family member in, in over a year because they live out of state, but man, when they come back in the room, it's just like. They've always been there, right? And that's that's the thing, the goal that you, you you push toward in your whether it's your PLC, whether it's your campus, or whether it's us as a district.
0: Absolutely, such a such a great connection in thinking about behaviors that contribute to your that you engage in with your family, and that's really the types of things that we're looking at. Makes me think about our even our operations department and our. Um, our team,
1: how they come together, and they are committed to listening, problem solving, queuing into each other to see where their redundancies or where their supports can come in to really help each other. And I think about how how closely they communicate to each other to problem solve and to work forward for solutions. And I think that it it feels like a family, no matter what we're talking about which side of the department we're talking about, they come together when there's a crisis or when there's a, and they've spent that time together so they can respond so well and so quickly together. Um
0: And they may not agree on the solution no, right away, no, right. but right. they're going to come to agreement. Right. You know, we're going to work through it. Right. And that's part of that too. And every family member's valued. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes mm-hmm. we, you know, we don't need to look at titles. We need to look at, Ideas and make that a safe space so that every every family member is valued. So true. Well, um, just thinking about group performance, and it depends on behaviors that communicate one powerful overarching idea. You know, we're safe and connected, and that's really what we're talking about. Um, And we have, and you mentioned that, Holly. You know, with different departments, we've seen examples of group performance and connections. Is there any other? Ideas that you think of that you've seen in our district could be outside of the district, but I know there's a lot of examples that we've seen within the district. You know, it seems those groups that take
1: time to listen. I think that we've we've moved so fast and there's been so much that we've been through that taking that time to the groups that to really engage and listen. And that I think that's been an interesting piece that we've brought back student voice certainly listening to stakeholder voice and listening in in that way. I think about groups that really um, take that feedback and face it and, um, and, and, um, and feel safe enough to share that, that feedback within a family, like with your analogy, Franklin, I think about that, that you can, there's no one that will be quite as real with you as your own family members, right? The brutal, the brutal facts and the brutal truth that, that is a piece of really listening and hearing it. And, and with that trust, that layer of trust, I think that's something that we are can continue to increase and grow. I think that we have um, definitely campus leaders and different departments that are um, leaning into that and um, and 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 dedicating time to that and responding to what they're hearing. I think that's part of building that trust and making that feeling of safety and connection.
2: You know, I, I loved hearing the stories and seeing it. some of that first week back for teachers of campuses that just they carved out time for for quote unquote family. Right. Whether that was a breakfast, whether that was a potluck lunch, whatever it might be in know one high school kind of had like a, an, you know, Olympics where they played volleyball and they had obstacle courses and they divided up and competed in teams and. That's those are the things, right? Those are the things that build the culture to where I do feel safe. You think about your family and y'all mentioned that, like in your family, you're safe to say whatever it is you want to say and you're safe to be whoever it is you want to be because it's family. And so as, as PLCs and campuses and as a district, you move toward that feel of you be, you can be who you are and you can be safe, feel safe saying what, what, what it is that you feel is, is right and necessary. And you're also open to hear the commentary back on those comments, right? And so, uh, you know, as I look at these groups, I see that culture building, that familiness, right? And that's going to take us way beyond, um, you know, anything that we could do individually.
1: At least, yeah, that leads us into, I don't know, the
0: next chapter a little bit. Yes, it yeah. did. And I wanted to say yeah. one yeah. thing, yeah. too, because we saw it yesterday. Um, it just reminded me of this, this energy, individualization and coming together. The Clear Creek High School choir, uh-huh. they came together. They sang Go, Go, Astros. They took a, a rendition that had been created, had been written by a previous director. They sang it together and you could just, their individual parts their their indiv- they wore their favorite astro gear everyone looked different everyone had a different part and their synergy together was beautiful and i think you know letting everybody shine at what they do that individualism and then bringing all that energy together so just kind of that you know and and kind of thinking about individualism and yet bringing it all yeah. together in a future connection it was just a beautiful picture of, of a family, yes, and it that, does right? It ties, go into that next it does,
1: chapter that, totally. That second chapter, um, it's, it's called the Billion Dollar Day when nothing happened, and that was certainly interesting. It tells a story about um, a Silicon startup and the the launch of Google and and who was going to take on that. But moreover, the the real idea of the chapter and the and the depth of it is, and it goes back to that connectivity of that people crave social interaction post COVID and always people sit, crave that social interaction and they crave, everyone wants to be seen and they want to be heard and valued. And I think that is a piece that when you think about culture, it's that res- And I think about going back to our core values of respecting each other and trusting each other, those are so important in a, a base of our work, but um, I, I, I really there's so many things about this chapter, but um, and I saw some my own past um, <laughs> work and try and thinking about building teams, but I loved one quote that from Coyle in this book. It says, "Culture isn't something you are; it's something you do," and I thought that in my life and my leadership at some time I've been sometimes chase that trying to put the perfect team together and trying to find that magic chemistry. Um, but it is something about the behaviors that you create and, and those connections that you set, you share, but they talk about, um, this, uh, at, at a time before, gosh, pre-internet uh, internet launching really before we knew exactly what it was before, when NASA was just experimenting and, and creating those initial connections that have changed the world. But they talked about different models of um, cultures that existed at the time and who was they were really on a um, high stakes rush, almost a, a gold rush to try to um, capture the market on um, on what the internet would be and what Google searching would be uh, come to be though, as we know it. But they talked about a star model and it was focused on building teams that were hiring the best and brightest people. And that, that would that make the culture and would the team that was focused on that, would that create the output that their innovation? Because They're really seeking something that they didn't know. They're creating something that hadn't existed before. They also had another model that they referenced of another company that had more of a professional model where they built group around specific skill sets that they had, were, had strengths in certain areas and surely those strengths would lead them to this innovation and to this new, new, this new way of thinking. But then they also had a commitment model of of a different group that innovation was part of their core. They had spent time with shared values and strong emotional bonds. And that commitment model consistently led to the highest rates of success. And in fact, what we know of Google today, <laughs> they use they they illustrated the example of the culture of trust and innovation and being safe enough to try to um, think outside the box, to problem solve in new ways, to value each other. All of those cues that were built in that system created that opportunity for that new North, that new North Star that changed, has changed of our lives in, 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 mm. um, in epic ways. Mm. Um, I think that um, when it talks about this chapter, it, uh, it talks about cohesion and a cohesion, a cohesive team. On page 26, it talks about cohesion happens not when members of a group are smarter, but when they're lit up by clear, steady signals of safe connection. And I think it just when I read it, I, I think about how much I crave that as, a, as a, a learner and a leader myself and appreciate that when it's um, when it's there. But think about culture and how important um, that that security is and that those signals of safe connection so that people can do their best work. I think that's what we we all strive for. And that's how we thrive when we have that stability um with us, and we have lacked that, as we've mentioned with the pandemic in the the past few years um uh, but with the stability that we're gaining, I think I feel there's this change in motion and momentum across the entire district, and it's exciting campus to campus as I'm out on visits to see that um momentum happening but um, I wondered about thoughts of that you had on this. I know we talked about. Um, Google, they um, created a culture of collaboration um, and creative combustion, as Coyle would say, um, that everyone has a seat at the table. And in what ways, um, thinking about school leaders or department leaders or any, honestly, any member of an organization, how they can develop that flow of ideas and solutions, even if it's student voice or um, or how how do you create those signals of clear connection um, whether you're in a PLC or a teacher leader, a department head, a team, a grade level team leader, um, no matter your role in the district, how can how can that be developed or where have we seen that develop and work well? I don't know if you'll have thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's so important to, to do to learn how to develop the value like mm-hmm. that. The people sitting around the table are valued. It goes back to the family, right? If they feel f- like a family, they feel in some way, in some extent, valued, and what they can bring to that table, right? And so they they begin to be able to voice their opinion, and that's where the collaboration comes in, right? I, I forget which chapter it was. I think it was the first one, though. They were talking about how. The uh, the good guy Jonathan is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. Like he's the, the, the good guy. <laughs> the, good guy. <laughs> the good guy. You know, he would just talk, right? Yeah. He would just he would just ask those questions, like and then Nick didn't bother him, like it didn't deflect him in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Like he just continued to, uh, because he wanted everybody to feel, rather than just say what the answer was. He wanted to hear everybody around that table, and that's where the belonging comes in, right? That's where the value of each person at the table. They begin to feel it. When they feel it, they become safe. When they become feel safe, they begin to, you know, vocalize more or share more. And now you've got everybody reaching their full potential at the table.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, I went back, I completely agree, you know, with just valuing people And um, I did like on page 20, it says they didn't manage their status or worry about who was in charge. It was almost like there was just a igniting the group, free flowing ideas. Nobody had, nobody was worried about being wrong. You know, going back to what you said, it's safe enough to try. And I'll be honest, I keep connecting back to some of our amazing classrooms and specifically looking at these elementary classrooms and across the board, K through 12. But sometimes you have these little ones that are concerned. You know, they, they don't know what to experience. And then these teachers just create an amazing family environment. It's safe enough to try. Every, every student's um, comment is valued and they, they find value in, in, in everything that each child does. And then all of a sudden they're blossoming, igniting that flame. I think that was the yes. verbiage, right? Igniting, yes. feeding the flame, feeding the flame. Um, but I think it comes from, you know, identifying what I would all, my really bad, you know, I think you, we, um, we thrive and, and we kind of move towards what we're good at. And so that teacher or that department leader or helping people to to find what they're good at, but then also not there's there's not it's not wrong. It's you know we have got to have a culture of of failure, if you will. We just heard that, but it's that's not bad. It's just as long as we learn, right. as right. long as we get better. You right. failure is fine as long as we get better. And I think that's really what Google established. It's there's nobody that has the right answer, and we're not failing. We're just learning and we're growing and it's safe to do so. And there's not
1: one person controlling it all. I think about our time, even when we work with administrators that we're not leading the agenda, we we pause and give space for connection. I think about leaders in departments at the beginning of the year, how they gave time for those family to come together and, and to build that time. I think about in our classrooms, how teachers are as, as much as we're compressed with time and we want to do so much that we know that unless we give time to pause and to connect that we're not going to be able to push forward forward any further that we have to pause and have those behavioral that behavior that time for those behavioral cues to develop mm-hmm. so that we can be trust trusting of each other so that we can move forward and definitely see that with our morning meetings our class meetings I think about the power of, and and just all the times we've mentioned where we weren't able to come together and join together that those times matter. We want to go. We want to go fast. We want to go so fast, but we've got to take those times to go slow, right? In exactly. order for us to go fast, definitely. I don't know, Franklin. What do you think? There's, I know you <laughs> thinking about um, belonging. I think that kind of that sense of belonging kind of connects. Yeah. To that third chapter a bit. It was interesting. A, a historian you might like this. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, a bit. it was really
2: interesting. I mean, they had three great stories in here. One is about the Christmas Truce, which was uh, in a World War World War 1 battlefield and uh, the the Germans and the Brit the British had these cues, right? And and you imagine like this was in that that transition from hand-to-hand basically combat almost to where we are now. And so these guys were just in these trenches in the mud for so long. And so they're fighting back and forth. And then all of a sudden they're starting to have some belonging cues, if you will, is, is, is what they refer to them as. And so uh, they start having micro truces. So when the food gets delivered, we don't we don't fight, right? And uh, if it's heavy rainfall, we don't fight. And then it became cold nights. We don't fight, and so these micro truces began to to just organically build between these two uh, enemies uh, that are out there fighting. And so then all of a sudden they, they become these out of bounds things, right? So gathering of casualties at, in the latrines. We don't fight toward. The, we don't shoot toward the, the latrines, supply lines. That's <laughs> off limits. And so all these belonging cues, even though they were enemies. enemies. Right. They were at war mm-hmm. trying to win this this battle. There were times of, of what they called micro uh, truces, but um, they were the, the, the belonging cues that set the stage for, you know, just a deeper connection to where um, they actually spent time at Christmas and they didn't fight on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And they actually came together in the battlefield. And shared Christmas with each other. I mean, are you kidding me? These are enemies, like, trying to take each other out on a daily basis. But on Christmas Eve, they say, you know what? We're not going to fight. Not only are we not going to fight, we're all going to come out of the trenches. And we're going to enjoy the holiday together. I mean, that's unheard of. uh, Bright, but that was the belonging cue that they felt. That sense of belonging across the path. And then the the, the next story was great because it's the one-hour experiment. I, I mean, it really... I mean, I was like, well, what, "What's one hour?" I mean, really, what is one hour <laughs> of oh, training? It's yes. so good here. <laughs> this 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 uh, call center in India were losing employees; they couldn't retain them, and so they did a quick experiment with two groups. They took roughly around uh, you know a couple of hundred hires, and they put them in two different groups. And so the first group hears about the company's successes; they get to meet a quote unquote star performer. And they answer questions about their first impressions of the company. Now that's on page thirty-seven. And at the end of the at the end of the hour, they receive a fleece sweatshirt embroidered with the company's name. I mean, we as educators love free t-shirts, right? Yeah, we do. Free polos. And so, but the second group they received the standard training plus they got an additional hour focused not on the company but on the employee, right? And so these trainees were asked questions like, "What's unique about?" Uh, you that leads you to uh, your happiest times or your best performances. And so through this exercise, they were able to share what it meant to them. And at the end, they got a fleece sweatshirt embroidered with their own name and the company's name. Right. And so then it was looked at, OK, don't expect anything. Let's just see what happens. And all of a sudden they start to look. And the trainees from the second group were 250 percent more likely than those from the first group to stay on board, right? It was that additional hour where they were able to just talk about themselves, talk about themselves and what they brought to the table.
1: They were heard. They were mm-hmm.
2: heard. You know, and I thought about our listening sessions and mm-hmm. and back to our people and our purpose and our promise. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so important, whether it's on a, a big level at the district, whether it's a campus level with your faculty or whether it's in your PLCs with the with a team lead, like take that time, take that time, because time is so valuable to listen, let people say everything, let them talk about what they bring to the table, because that brings that value, that brings that belonging and all the great things that, you know, we've talked about uh, today. And so it signals that, pers- the, you know, the, they had that opportunity again to talk about their individual skills, and and all those things and it, it made a difference. And the funny part is, at the bottom of thirty nine, they asked one specific employee, and he, they expected him to like remember these awesomeness of the session, right? right. Oh, we had this chance to talk <laughs> about ourselves and all that. No, no, they basically had forgotten that that ever happened. Mm-hmm. But it was it was um, it was done such a way that it it made an impression on them on the inside, right? And it cre- it, it changed probably who they were. And how they approached the work and the job that they were doing
1: That's the behavior of culture isn't it? Correct. rather than just the chemistry of I mean, it it's, right. it's, it's not done to them
2: right it's, and, and it's pulled
1: out from within them
2: It's so good and then the, the last one is about the missileers of course that, that monitor the missiles and, and the, again their work is is almost obsolete now right and but it's based on this old way that it was done in the 50s and just it was just terrible culture just I mean let's just be honest it was terrible culture and they were having all kind of major issues and they couldn't figure it out. Well, it was because if you look on page 44, it was because of the, of the three questions, right? Are we connected? Do we share a future? And are we safe? And so
1: people, purpose, promise, people purpose exactly. promise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are we connected? Yes. You know, and you think about those families. We're not even going to call them groups anymore. We're going to call them family. Think about those families. Mm. They're connected, right? They're connected. And mean, think about those teams, those PLCs that are so effective. They're connected, right? They don't just meet that once per week. You see them in the hallway. You sense it when you walk down the hallway that there's a, a, a interconnection that nobody really knows about, right? And so then the do we share a future? You know, what is it going on? What's, what's the result? What are we working towards, right? Mm-hmm. What are we working towards as a, a team? Shared purpose. A shared purpose, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing is, are we safe? Or, mm-hmm. you know, are we safe? Is are we in a are we in a, 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 a an atmosphere that we can take risk, right? And not worry about if we if we fail. Because if we fail, we're gonna fail forward. Yes. Right. And we're gonna get better. We're going to learn and then we're going to make, make make adjustments and we're going to actually get better in that piece. So the uh, uh, perfect quote on 44, belonging cues did not have to do with the character or the discipline, but with building an environment that answers the basic questions. Again, are we connected? Do we share for a future? And are we safe? So while the book focuses on how to, you know, we want to build this healthy work culture, it also points out how you can ruin one. Right. And so what what can leaders do to protect that culture that they are either have or that they're working towards at this time?
0: You know, something that it just keeps resonating with me and as we're talking and reading through this are our core values. If you talk about how are we going to protect our culture, we respect each other, we trust each other um we care about each other right. it, it's woven all through this and that's not it's it's the plate that we we it is our foundation it, it's not about adding on it's about these are our behaviors and I think if we fundamentally tie back into do we how do we show that we care yeah. how do we build trust you know there are specific behaviors that we can do but I think that's how we safeguard our culture is in my mind, going back to respecting each other, core values. It's it sounds simple. It's not always easy no, to now. respect, to listen, right? right. It's that's not a. Um, it's not as simple as it sounds, but in a lot of ways, I think it's that profound, and it is that simple. And I think we all know how to do that. You know, we just need to tap back into it.
1: I think it's interesting to the what uh, uh, went through this are the stories. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: yeah. this book so far has lifted up for us through stories the understanding of culture and I think when I think about core values what when we see it um, well infiltrated into um, parts of the district or at a campus it's they lift up this they when they not only model it and they hold each other accountable and they live it. Yes. But yes, they're also intentionally or just innately, they tell the stories of how those how those core values are, are enacted and living out in their culture. And that reinforces that feedback loop. And I think that's a piece that um, it's part of that behavior that is consistently happening that we may not always name, note. It's just it's there. And so I think one thing that leaders can do, and I know I'm thinking more mindfully about it myself is how to tell the story and how to tell the story to um, provide that loop of feedback and, and culture and, and lifting up when we see it and when it's working well and, and examples of that and how it's played out. Kids need that. Our elementary, I was in a classroom this week and saw it being taught explicitly, being modeled and being also reinforced when they saw it working well. And I thought, boy, if that can happen in a kindergarten classroom. What a, mm. Once again, I'm reminded about how important those lessons are that we learned in kindergarten that can impact culture and still what we do across the district today.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I I think sometimes we need to name it and we need to show it. And uh, sometimes we, we talk about talking the walk and literally naming what we're seeing. We're seeing caring everywhere and, and name that. Mm-hmm. and And mm-hmm. so... That I personally think that might be a great way to end our podcast. Um, and thinking about um, what are we doing and how is that telling our story? And maybe we should, as a commitment, to go out and and share our story and tell our story. Well, we thank you very much for joining us today. I know we had a a wonderful time chatting about this book. We hope this podcast sparked a bit of curiosity with you. And you will join us next time for chapters four through six. If you have any suggestions, kind of like the Google experiment, yeah. you know, <laughs> hey, we're open. We are right. listen, learn, respond. Uh, we would love to improve our district. That is our goal. So please let us know. Thank you and have a great day.